Here's the first slide that we've been going over Judges, uh, the circle. We, so we see this cycle explicitly in Judges chapter 4, don't we? It starts with the sin. Israel serves the Lord, but Israel falls into sin. And it begins with, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Then it goes into oppression. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar, the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagoyim. And then Israel cries out. The, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. And then God raised up a judge, and in this case, her name is Deborah. Uh, Deborah was the wife of Lapidoth, and she was not only just a judge, but she was also a prophetess. Now, a prophetess is not like a fortune teller. Uh, a lot of times we, we assume prophet is someone who tells the future and predicts it. It may or may not be, but prophet is simply this throughout the Bible. This is a person who hears directly the words of God, and after hearing the word of God, they convey that word to the people. They're just a messenger who directly delivers God's word. So just take a moment to think that Deborah is one of the few women in the Bible who has this access to God. Do you know who the other prophet before Deborah was, a prophetess? Miriam, Moses' sister, was actually named as a prophetess. And so these are people who have this incredible relationship with God. And they say that out of all the judges, Deborah had the closest relationship with God. And so God raises up Deborah. She is a judge, and she's literally judging as well in this case. She's not a deliverer, but she also, she's like Judge Judy, hears all your trials and, and all the conflicts, and Judge Deborah makes a verdict in her wisdom. And then lastly, Israel is delivered, and we hear that. So Deborah says, isn't this the day God has given you Barak to free them? So she's a prophetess. She's a wife of Lapidoth, and then she's a judge. And so when you read this chapter, we're going to keep that up. When you read this chapter of Judges, just with clear lens of all these assumptions cleared out, just knowing the Bible, knowing how God works, it is very difficult for us to dive into this chapter and study it and question the idea that can women be leaders? It is very difficult for us to question the idea that God raises women as leaders. The whole book, we're not going to touch New Testament, the whole book chapter has two heroines. And it actually makes the, the guy, the, the stereotypical rough-and-tough Arnold Schwarzenegger, rocky male general, the weakling. Barak, I mean, who, what guy says, yes, I'll go if you go, you know? <laughs> who, who talks like that? It's Deborah who's the one that says, get on up, God's calling you. And it's, it's a wife that lives in a tent who kills the enemy general that all of Israel has been fearing. I think a lot of us, even complementarians, there's this, uh, there's this two thoughts, egalitarian and complementarian in a lot of uh, different theologies. Egalitarian means that men and women share all the same gifts. They could do the same things. Um, there's some truth to that, and then there's some issues with that. And then there's also complementarian where it says that God has given men unique callings and women unique callings. And there's some truth in that, and there's also some, some tension and weaknesses in that as well. And I think when we look at these two things, if you notice the way I am, it's not a compromise. 
I think there are always going to be under this side of heaven no 100% foolproof stances in some of these issues that we interpret through Scripture. So, for example, the reason why a lot of people say women should never be leaders and elders is this verse in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, you take that one verse by itself as a prescription in churches, I don't think any church, even the most conservative churches, will be able to stand. Because I've been to one of the most conservative churches in Ohio, which will remain unnamed. They're so conservative, they don't even have pictures or even the cross. They want to be completely iconoclast, which means they just don't like symbols and they just want the word of God to be there. But they have women Sunday school teachers who teach. And the way they get about this is they have a male standing in that room with her. And so it's this idea that we take this verse and we say, you know, this is true. Women shouldn't be leaders. But the issue here is 600 years prior to what Paul wrote, you see already God has raised up a woman who is leading the entire nation of Israel, having authority over men. But there's a, there's a more um, exegetical issue here. In 1 Corinthians, Paul also writes this. Now listen to this. In chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he says, The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. Now in both verses, if you take just those verses, what does it mean? It means none of you women should be talking right now. None of you women should ever share anything. And so if you look at the text just by itself, it means the women should keep silent. And some of you men are going, yes. Hallelujah. I know the Bible was good for something. Uh, obviously, this is where I'm leading with this. Both of them have context. That in Paul's case in the Corinthian church, there was a context where prophetesses, women were speaking out out of turn. And that men, men were also who were trying to lead were finding themselves battling with their, even their own wives. So there was a situation that Paul was addressing because what Paul also does in his other letters is he praises women for discipling and teaching. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So when we go back to Deborah, the, if you just read the chapter in light of the whole book, what do we see? God is saying this victory will come through women. It's going to come through Deborah, and it's going to come through Jael. It's glaring in our face that the heroes of this chapter that God uses to empower is going to be these two women. The explicit leadership of, of Deborah is, I, I listed a few, and I was like, oh my goodness, it's almost intentional. Deborah summons Barak. Deb, the first thing she does is she summons Barak. Now, uh, students, everyone under 25, when's the last time you summoned your parents? Momsy, come here. Like, when's the last time you did that? Men, this is, be, be very careful. When's the last time you summoned your wife? Wife, here now. I mean, the word summoned, it's, it's strong, right? It's not just inviting. What is it saying? I have authority and command over you. You come here. And the word in Judges chapter 4 is Deborah summoned, not her servant, not her children, 
the general of the Israelite army. And he did come. In fact, not only did he come, but he came very humbly. Deborah, what do we need to do? And so this man, the Bible tells us, is in charge of at least 10,000 men. And Deborah has authority over this guy who has authority. Now, number second thing we see is now Deborah, prophetess, the wife of Lapidus, was judging Israel at that time. Deborah was leading Israel. And what fascinates me about this chapter, if you read it, there was no qualification. There was nothing that said Deborah was only leading because there was no other men. It just says Deborah was judge and leading, period. It was as if it's just a matter of fact. So here she is, Deborah, leading an entire army, making decisions for her people, and the Bible doesn't even, like, flinch at this thought. This is 2,600 years ago. I mean, we still struggle with maybe some, you know, women's rights today. It got a lot better. Now, I think it went a little bit too much the other way. Like, I think it's like a radical feminist movement sometimes, but we all believe in a society where, hey, women should vote <laughs> Men and women are the same, and in Jesus Christ, there is neither male nor female, slave nor free. But here, 2,600 years ago, we already see God using this woman to be this leader. Um, The other thing we see here is this. Deborah is incredibly effective with the battle. She knew that God was saying, the moment has come, Barak. We're going to win. We're going to take down Canaan. And then a few days later... What do we see her saying? She says to Barak in verse 14, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given you. The time has come. She knew the heart of God, and she was instrumental in being a military strategic leader. So, you know, the juxtaposition is, the comparison is this. Here's Canaan. Their confidence was in what? Sisera was described twice. He had how many chariots? 900 chariots. That's like equivalent to today. We have over 10,000 nuclear missiles pointed at you. That's the equivalent, right? Technology. Chariots will cut down thousands of people. And then what do Israelites have? A prophetess. (laughs) But behind the prophetess, who do they have? God Almighty. And so God is using this Deborah effectively against a nation. The world will say, Oh, Israel's got no chance. That's why they've been in oppression for all these years. But God says, it's time. And I'm going to deliver you through Deborah. And so, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit, application. Next, we see Barak. Deborah says to Barak, has not the Lord given, commanded you, go? And that's basically the Bible's way of saying, Barak, God is giving you victory. Go, right? It's rephrasing a question. How does Barak respond? Hey, team, I'm a baseball coach. Hey, we're going to do outfield drills. Go. Coach will only go if you go. You know, you, know, you tell your wife or husband or your children, hey, can you go get milk? No, I only go if you go. It's a little too timid, right? Um, and so you see Barak, the general, saying, I'll only go if you go. If you don't go, then I won't go. His confidence is with her. He sees the spirit of God on her. He sees that she is close with God, and he has no confidence apart from her. And so we know that that's a ding on his credit because the next verse says, Nevertheless, Deborah responds, I will go, but nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, 
but the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Barak, because you had this hesitance, you know what? God's going to do it all the way, and the way he's going to win is not through you, O general. It's going to be through a woman. And so that opens up the next story to this lowly, lowly, seemingly lowly housewife, Jael, who's just hanging out by her tent, and all of a sudden the general runs in like, hey, I need a place to hide. Come here. I'll take care of you. And do you notice what she does? Give me a glass of water. What does she give? Gives him milk. You know, when something heavy puts him to sleep. And then she puts a, not just a blanket, she puts a rug, a heavy blanket. You know those comfort blankets? Do you, any of you have those weighted blankets? It gives you that comfort. And then he is out. And she comes up to him, takes a peg, and drives it deeper to his skull. Um, how many of you knew that there was a story where there's a woman who drives a tent peg into someone's head in the Bible? Like, that's, like, we learned something new, right? And so God used a woman to lead a nation. He used a housewife to triumph over a general. And so just taking away our assumptions, what do we see here? God literally can, has, will use anyone as he sees fit for his work. And it's our assumptions based on maybe one text by itself without a context that may have been a little bit too rigid for what God can do. And so today we, have, we do have this discomfort. And right now, uh, you know, Saddleback Church this past year had a little bit of big controversy about ordaining women. And so I don't want to talk about that controversy, but as we just look at Scripture, what do we see? You see God raising up a judge. And so I read commentaries, conservative commentaries, and this is the way they explained Deborah. Well, it was an exception because there were no men. So God had to do it. And it almost discounts that God was out of options. I don't know about you, but I don't know God who is scrambling, scratching his head going, what am I going to do now? I see God with intention and thought that Deborah was called by his wisdom for a reason. And so as we go into this, we see this in the New Testament, that throughout the New Testament, after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, who were the people in the New Testament that spread the gospel? A lot of them were women, that God was using women. So, for example, uh, there's a lady named Priscilla, and her husband is Aquila. They were named twice, and they mentored and discipled a man named Apollos. In Corinthians, Paul talks about Apollos. He says, some of you say, I follow Paul. Others say, I follow Apollos. Who cares? We plant and we sow, but it's God who grows the church. What is Paul saying? This guy, Apollos, is a phenomenal leader of the church. How did he get there? Priscilla and Aquila took him under their wings, and they discipled and mentored him. And in the Bible commentary says this. If you notice, any time Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, the wife and husband, it's always the wife's name listed first. That's not an accident. They usually do that as the first prominent person. And so we see that in Priscilla. We see that in Phoebe in Romans 16.1. She was the one carrying the letters. We see this in Lydia. In the, in the New Testament, Paul and Lydia, Lydia was a wealthy garment maker, and she opened up her home to disciples. And she was key as a leader, as a business leader and owner to furthering the gospel. And lastly, one of my favorite. A mother and a grandma, Lois and Eunice of Timothy. They were grandma and mother of Timothy, 
And then Paul commends them for their faith that they passed on to Timothy. So we see Deborah looking at this issue, and for her, she's unfazed in a world where society may say, hey, this is a place for just the men. And after the victory, if you go to Judges 5, there's a whole song. The whole chapter is a song that Deborah sings. And let me read a part of it. She writes about, she sings about Jael, and she says, Most blessed of women, Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell. He lay still. Between her feet he sank. Where he sank, there he fell dead. And it's like Deborah is just joyfully writing this song that the woman who took down this cruel general and was his housewife, and he fell at her feet. So, we have to hold the Bible in context. We have to read the Bible in the cover of the whole Bible, and we realize this, that God is a God whose purposes are consistent, and the way he uses us and any one of us is his will and his desire. And so, there are times, and we see it today, that men will fail. And I think God's ideal is that men should be the head and the leaders. But we, we're gone way past that because for hundreds of years, men have become sloppy or, we, or they've never been faithful. And so God will use anyone he wants. And today in the church, I think in most mainline churches, a lot of the leadership is, I think, majority women. And so we see in this Bible, we see this story, God is calling us to be his commissioners he gives us, and he doesn't dismiss based on a particular gender. So, had it not been God preparing these women, Israel would still be under bondage. And at the same time, at the same time, for those who are more complementary, you do see this distinguishing mark. This is why I think both have strengths and weaknesses. Deborah never lifted a sword, did she? Who did the actual fighting? Who had the role of leading the army? It was Barak. And so he did have this particular role, and together God used Barak and Deborah for this purpose for redeeming. Um, let me read this. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel? My heart goes out to the commander of Israel, who, who offer themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. And so God uses both men and women in this capacity, and she sees this victory that God has given us. So the first thing we see in this Bible is this. Men and women are called in God's sovereignty, in his plan. He does have an order, but God will not contradict himself in either way, and he raises up men and women. So for the sisters and young ladies, I want to say God is calling you. If God calls, say yes. For the men, I think one of the things we need to do is check our assumptions to say, this is only for males. Because to do that is to take the context of Paul's letters and not see the full picture. And so 
the second theme and the last theme is this. And let me start with this. If we were to play basketball, uh, Billy Park is our worship leader. Michael Jordan versus Billy Park, who wins? I think Billy could think, like, I'm younger than him. I could take him. Okay. Second, Arnold Schwarzenegger or me bench pressing, who wins? Now, I'm a little offended. You don't know what I can do. But I, I don't lift weight. And even now, I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's doing. So we see these comparisons. Next comparison, two male generals versus a female prophet. Who wins? Next one, 900 chariots armored versus a glass of milk, a hammer, and a tent peg. Who wins? Lastly, a feared general versus a housewife. Who wins? You see, in all these commentaries, right, it's so clear. It's like a uh, no-brainer. It's, one, it's pretty obvious. But in this story, what do we see? It's not the world's power that wins. It's the power of God that prevails. It's not the world's power that wins. It's always the power of God that prevails. And the church says, amen. I think that's the story that Judges 4 is telling us. Do you know why the chariots failed, by the way? It's brilliant. Just This is God's wisdom. Chariots need to run on hard surfaces. Where was the battle? Near River Kishon. What time of year? Probably spring. What happens to the river during springtime when the snow melts? It is soggy. And we think it's the arrogance and just the assumption of Sisera that led to his demise. God, in his wisdom, doesn't look at the world's equations. God is God, and he prevailed. God raised Deborah. God prophesied over the Canaanites and even told them, you're going to fail. You're going to lose two old women. And this is Deborah leading Israel. What is the point of this story? Just like David and Goliath. David didn't win because he was stronger. David won because the power of God was with him. Church, I want to just end with this. Psalm 27 tells us that some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the Name of the Lord, our God. And so, in a time like this, what the message to us today is this. You can stack up everything in the world against you, all you want. But if God is on your side, you will prevail. You can stack up all the world's obstacles, challenges, military power, money in the world. But if God is on your side, and he's calling you to it, we will prevail. But does this mean go start a fight? No, that's not what I'm, so go get them. No, this means the world is getting comfortable and saying, we know what we're about, we're good. You Christians, just move on with your ancient faith. But what God is telling us is salvation is of the Lord. Sanctification is only possible by God. And church revival, hope for the world, doesn't come because we are wealthy or strong, but because God is on our side. So we have to be a church that prays, that seeks his face, and humbly obeys that, God, we would be on your side. Amen?
Let's pray. God, in all of these things, we just ask that you would help us to see that you move and you work in powerful ways that are aligning with your wisdom. God, you do have an order. And at the same time, you're, you're pretty creative. You don't contradict yourself. Your truth is truth. But the ways you fulfill your purposes, Lord God, it's, it's so clear. God, would you help us to be a church and people who does not count the cost and in the way that the world does, but we simply ask, God, are we walking with you? Are we on your side? Are you on our side? Are we together in this bond through Christ? And we see that as Christ surprised the world, Lord God, by being a baby born in a manger that rises up, that decimates, Father, the powers of this world through his love and death, God, we glorify you, we praise you for the way that you bring victory. It is through humility, love, and grace. Help us to be a church that holds to that. Help us to be people that clings to that hope and faith. And as we are encouraged, and as we mull on this word, Lord, may we always be open to your spirit. These things we pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.